This is Parak Aleph of Sefer Ezra, the beginning of Sefer Ezra, for the OU's Nach Yomi podcast, delivered by Ellie Fisher. The first three psukim of the book of Ezra correspond almost exactly to the last two psukim of Sefer Devrahayamim. Uh, the significance of this fact is noted by the Abarbanel, who says that, really, Sefer Ezra should come after Sefer Divrei Hayamim. In fact, Sefer Ezra picks, off, picks up right where Sefer Divrei Hayamim leaves off. Divrei Hayamim ends with the uh, conquest of Bavel by Paras Umadai, and Ezra begins within the first year of the reign of Koresh, where, um, you know, after, after the conquest of Bavel, uh, where he allows the Jews to return to Eretz Yehuda and to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. Um, in our Tanakhs, right, the standard printed Masoretic Tanakh, uh, Sefer Ezra comes after Daniel, and uh, it's implied by the Gemara, Gemara Bava Basra, Dav Yudal that it comes after Ezra. And the Brisa there that lists the Sfarim of Tanakh, uh, Sefer Ezra appears after um, after Esther and before Devrahayamim. Okay. Uvishnas Achas, Pasuk Aleph. Uvishnas Achas, Lekoresh Melech Paras, in the first year of the reign of Cyrus, Koresh, king of Persia, Lechlos Dvar Hashem, Mipi Yirmiya, that the word of Hashem through the mouth of Yirmiyahu might be accomplished. Heir Hashem es Ruach Koresh. Hashem inspired, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, Vayaver Kol Bechomal Huso, and he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom, the Gambamichtav, as well as in writing, Lemort. And he said the following. The fo- he issued the following edict. Um, the idea of that he's sending something throughout his kingdom in writing is very significant for the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was the largest empire that the world had ever seen at that point. Um, it um, it would grow bigger in the generation after Koresh when his son uh, conquered Egypt. But even at this point... Um, the Persian Empire was larger than any other empire that had ever existed. As a result of that, um, as we see from the book of Ezra and as we see from the book of Esther, uh, the the Persian Empire was highly bureaucratic. They were very meticulous record keepers, um, and they had to they had to keep things. Um, you know, they had to run a very large empire. As, in order to do that, you need to have a good bureaucratic system in place. You need to have you know. You need to be able to delegate authority, and you need to keep records very meticulously, and that's going to show up. Uh, that's going to show up later on in the sefer as well. Um, the first year of Koresh, we're talking about in uh, you know in the, in the common way of counting, the year 538 or 539 before the Common Era, uh, approximately 22 years before the second Beis Hamikdash is rebuilt. Um, it's the first year in a brand new empire with new policies and uh, interestingly, en- interestingly enough Koresh is revered by both Jews and Iranians 
Um, you know, today it's not so popular to think about what we have in common with the Iranians, but Koresh is actually seen as the, a father figure of pan-Iranian culture, right? That includes the entire, uh, you know, Iranian sphere of influence, which doesn't just include the country of Iran, but uh, includes a lot of the the stands as well. It goes all the way up into the Caucasus mount- mountains, into Central Asia, um, and these were all areas that were more or less part of part of his empire. Um, and the Jews as well see Koresh as a uh, you know as a very positive figure, the person that allowed us to go back to the to go back to rebuild the Beis Hamikdash. Um, when Koresh took over from Bavel, right, there was a sense of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? The there was no love lost between the Jews and the uh, and the Babylonians, the the Kasdim, the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar's empire. Um, and so when Koresh took power, he 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 um, he took on policies that would build strategic alliances with those nations that had been uh, under the heel of Babylonia. In the late 1800s, there was a, a, an archaeological artifact that was discovered in Iraq. Uh, it's called the Cyrus Cylinder. Now, what this is is it's a also a proclamation made by Koresh. And uh, it had several it has several elements in common with the um, with the edict of, of Koresh that we see here in the first few psukim, right? Number one, the issue of repatriation. It talks about how those uh, you know those those nations that had been brought into exile, or those nations that had been um, forcibly uh, dispossessed by the uh, by the Babylonian Empire and by its predecessor, the Assyrian Empire, Malchut Ashur. Um, were allowed to go back to their homelands. Uh, the Cyrus Cylinder also contains deference to um, local gods. The particular god that uh, it refers to is the god Marduk, and it talks about how I, Koresh, was instructed by Marduk to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, and he also talks about rebuilding the temple and and um, and becoming a sponsor of the local temples of the local gods. And again, it's talking there about a, a temple of Marduk that existed, a temple to Marduk that existed in Iraq. So here, um, Koresh sounds very, very frum, talking about, you know, what what the Lord God of Israel instructed him to do, but we, we could probably take it with a grain of salt because um, his, you know, his, his, his religion uh, tended to... Um, uh, tended to follow a diplomatic line rather than a, a an actual religious line, and you know he was getting prophecy, and he was uh, and he was paying tribute and sponsoring the temple of whatever god was convenient for his uh, for the political alliances that he wished to forge. Um, I don't know how different it is today, but uh, it is what it is. Um, so says Cyrus, king of Persia, All of the kingdoms of the earth were given to me by Hashem, the God of heavens. And he commanded me, right, To build him a temple, to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. So first of all, we're 
we're talking about the tail end of Tanakh. We're only talking about Jews, right? The lost, the ten lost tribes are, as their nickname indicates, lost. They're gone. Um, when we're talking about the, the you know, the, the subjects of, of this book, we're talking about, we're talking about Jews. Um, it rarely refers to Yisrael. It talks about Yehuda, and they're, they're allowed to go back to Yehuda, to Judea. Uh, it doesn't talk about, uh, Yisrael. Um, in terms of Hashem Elokei Hashemayim, what Cyrus seems to do here is, you know, this tells us a little bit more about Cyrus's religion. Elokei Hashemayim, right, the God of, of the heavens, uh, was a moniker that was given to several other, uh, uh, worshipped deities in the ancient Near East that were current in that time, um, including Marduk, previously mentioned. He was the, the chief Babylonian god. Um, it also includes Ahura Mazda, who was the chief Iranian god, who later would become uh, the chief Zoroastrian god. Um, you know, at, at this point, Iranian religion was not quite yet Zoroastrian, but it was it was proto-Zoroastrian, and a lot of the characters that show up later on in Zoroastrianism are uh, are present in the uh, in the ancient Iranian pantheon as well. Um, it might be what you would call, you know, monolatrous, right, or henotheistic. Right? It's 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 not quite monotheistic, right? It's not monotheism is belief that there is only one God. Monolatry or henotheism is belief that there may be more than one god, but we're only going to worship one. So Cyrus seems to be indicating here that Elokei HaShemayim, the god of heaven, right? that seems to be moving in a direction that, yeah, there may be more than one god, but here's, this is the chief one, and this is the one that this is the, this is the one that we worship. Um, he continues. Mi v'chem ikol amo, whoever from his Nation, Vayal Yerushalayim, Yiel Akavim O, his God may his God be with him. Vayal Yerushalayim, Asher Yehuda, let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Apparently, Yerushalayim was somewhat of a backwater at this point; it hadn't really been populated um, for several years. You have to you have to say where it is: Jerusalem, Judea. Otherwise, people wouldn't necessarily know where it is. Especially if this is not just addressed to the Jews, it's addressed to the entire kingdom. Vayiven as Beis Hashem. So let these people, the, the nation, the, you know, the, um, God's, Hashem's nation, go there, Vayiven as Beis Hashem Elokei Israel, and build the house of Hashem, the God of Israel, Hu HaElokim Asher Yerushalayim. He is the God in Jerusalem. Right? So again, uh, not quite monotheistic. So this Pasuk says two things. So one is a command and one is a suggestion. Whoever is left, any place where he lives, he should give the men of his place, meaning his compatriots, help with silver, gold, goods, animals, and that's in addition to the free will offering, the donations for the house of God in Yerushalayim. Right? So you're saying that number one, this Aliyah, right, uh, this movement of people from from Babylonia, right, from Mesopotamia back to Yehuda, right, has to be funded by 
um, you know, there's a lot of costs that are associated with making Aliyah then as well as now. Um, so the, the, the Jewish community in Babylonia was tasked with funding that. And then beyond that, if they wished to make a donation to the Beis HaMikdash as well, they were free to do that. Okay? Um... Another another issue here that comes up in again Psukim Gimel and Dalid um, is that um, number one he wasn't saying you have to go back he gave people the option of going back if you didn't go back you could you know you had to help fund it but you didn't have to go back uh, the other thing here is that it was the people that went back who had the right to build the Beis HaMikdash. The, the edict to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash, the license to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash was given to those who went back, to the, um, uh, to the, to the Olim, to the, uh, to the, to the Shavim, to the returnees, uh, and not to anybody else. And that's going to play a major role later in the Sefer. Mayakumu Roshaya Avosli Yehudao Vinyamin HaKohanim V'Halaviyim so these, the heads of the of the families rose up, the families of Yehuda and Binyamin, the Kohanim, the Levim, all of those whose spirit God inspired to go up and build the house of Hashem in Yerushalayim, and all those around them, Right, they reinforced them, they strengthened them, right, with vessels of silver, gold, goods, with animals, with precious things. Right? Besides everything that was willingly offered. Right? So this is saying that everything that Cyrus gave license to was actually carried out. The the Jews, you know, they stepped up and they did it. Right. Cyrus the king he took out all of the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash the house of Hashem that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of Yerushalayim and put into his own into the house of his own gods Koresh took them out Al Yad Mithridas Hagizbar through Misridas, his treasurer. Misridas is a Persian name. Vayasaprem, and he counted them out. Lesheish Batzar Hanasili Yehuda to Sheish Batzar, the prince of Yehuda. Okay, so in Pasuk Zion, this it says that Koresh took these Kalim from the Beis Hamikdash, but it doesn't say that in the edict, right? In the actual edict that was sent out, it doesn't at least. As it was recorded here, it doesn't say anything about the caliph. Um, however, there may have been other parts of the edict. If later on in, in Paragvav, Psukim Gimel through Hay, we will see that they dig up in the archives a version of um, the edict of Koresh, which does refer to the to the to the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. Um, so, in sum, at this point, um, Koresh's edict allows for two things. Number one, the right of return, right? Not the obligation to return, but the right of return. 
Jews have the right to repatriate Judea. And number two, um, they have the right to rebuild the Beis Hamikdash. Now, there are a lot of things that are missing from this. There's nothing about the boundaries of where they're allowed to settle. There's nothing about what type of government is going to be there. There's nothing about any type of Jewish sovereignty over um, over Yerushalayim and over Eretz Yehuda. There's nothing about rebuilding Yerushalayim, which is going to fit, which is going to factor. Um, which is going to be a major factor later on. It's one of the themes of the book of of Nehemiah. At this point, they were not. There's nothing. There's no license to rebuild Yerushalayim. The base Hamikdash, yes. Yerushalayim, no. Um, or at least not yet. With regard to Sheish Batzar, the Nasi of Yehuda, right? You have this fellow Sheish Batzar that we're introduced to here. Um, the Talmud Bavli and uh, several Mufarshim identify. Uh, Sheish Batsar with Zerubavel. Um, and it's very tempting to do that because Zerubavel is later going to be listed as the, as the head of the Jewish community of returnees to the land of Yehuda. Um, the, um, the Nevi'im Chagai and Zechariah who lived at this time and who were present and who were amongst those who went back to, uh, to Eretz Yehuda at this point also, you know, they, they, they have prophecies, they, they prophesy about, um, about Zerubbabel, and they, you know, Zerubbabel is mentioned in, in their Sfarim as well. Um, and there's really not a lot of information that we have about Sheish Batsar. Yet, uh, as tempting as it is, there's one little problem with identifying Zerubbabel with Sheish Batsar, that is that in Pasuk Hay, they make an, appear- they make an appearance together. Right, so that's like the old thing. Like Clark Kent and Superman never appeared together. So ah, maybe Clark Kent is Superman. But here, Sheish Batsar and Zerubbabel actually are appearing together, which would seem to indicate that Sheish Batsar and Zerubbabel are two different people. Um, others try to identify him with there's a there's there's another fellow mentioned in Divrei Hayamim called Shenatzar, um, which I guess kind of sounds like Sheish Batsar. Um, the tempting thing about that is that Shenatzar was a son of Yehoyachin, right? Who was the third to last king of Yehuda, but he was the king of Yehuda that was brought into Gullus, the first Gullus, right? The, uh, the, the Gullus Bavel happened in two stages. Eleven years before the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, there was a group of, uh, there was a group of people that, um, that were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar to Bavel. They included Yehoyachin or Yechania, the king of Yehuda. It included Daniel. It included Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And it included, depending on how you want to understand the Pasuk at the beginning of Paragate Bays of Megillas Esther, it included either Mordechai himself or Mordechai's great-grandfather Kish, right? It says, Mordechai ben Yair ben Shemi ben Kish ishimini asher haglob Yerushalayim imagola asher haglusa Yechania melech Yehuda. Right, so... Who who was the one who went into Gullus? Was it uh, Yechania? Well, I'm sorry, was it with, with Yechania? Was it Mordechai or was it Kish? I personally am of the opinion that it was Kish. Mordechai, somebody born in Yehu, in Eretz in 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 Eretz Yehuda would not have had a name like Mordechai. And there are other there's other evidence as well, which would seem to indicate some of it. We may see later on in the Book of Ezra, um, but. Uh, either way, there are some that try to identify Sheish Batzar with. Shenatzar, and so, you, so, so Sheish Batzar is then um, 
the son of you know the son of the king. Shish Batsar is you know he's Hanasili Yehuda, the, the prince of Yehuda. You know you ain't kidding. Right? He is in line to be the king. Um, this is something that perhaps may have disturbed Koresh, meaning the, 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 the there's an open question to what degree um, did the Jews that return did they want to restore the monarchy, right? And Sheish Batsar, according to this opinion, and certainly Zerubbabel, were of the Davidic were of the the Davidic line. They were from base David, um, and they certainly would have been worthy of uh, of of taking on that uh, you know that position of of the king of Yehuda. Um, as we'll see, th- that attempt never really came to fruition. They, they never, there, there never was another king of Yehuda. Um, uh, uh, there, was, there was no, there was no person of the of the house of uh, of, of the house of, of David that reigned as king in, uh, in in Yerushalayim after the destruction of the first base after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. Um, The Elam is param. These are the numbers of the things that they that they uh, that they took with them. This is pasuk tes. Agar zahav shloshim, thirty gold, some kind of bowl. An agartal, modern Hebrew, an agartal is a, is a is a is a vase. Uh, agartal is it's not a uh, it means some kind of bowl. Um, <coughs> Agartalei kasef elef machalafim tishav esrim. Uh, and a, th- a thousand silver bowls and um, 920 knives for Shloshim, 30 another kind of bowl um, 30 uh, golden other type of bowl let's call them saucers um, for a kesef Mishnim arbameos vasara, and an, an additional 410 silver saucers, bowls, kelim achirim, elef, and then a thousand other vessels. Kol kelim lezahav vilachesef. By the way, well, okay, continue. Pasuk. Pasuk um Pasuk Yudalov, Kola Kelim Luzahavla Kasev Khameshis Alafimba Arbame Os, all of the vessels all told gold and silver were five thousand four hundred. Hakolhel Rushalain. All of these things Sheish Batsar brought up with him um when when those uh when when those uh, exiled Jews were brought up from Bavel for, to Yerushalayim. Okay, we'll continue tomorrow with Pasuk, with, I'm sorry, with Perek Bays.